I want to talk to you today about uh, what Eliphaz was talking about, one size fits all. That's what people say, isn't it? One size fits all. But I want to say today that one size does not fit all. You get a lot of people who work on this theology. It is our way and it's the only way. We find it in the world also, don't we? We find it in workplaces. We find it in families. It's all our opinions. It's what I say and what I think that matters. And if I say that's the size, you better fit into that size. Have you seen sometimes we've got a square box and somebody wants to hammer in a round object in there? Or you've got a round hole and you want to hammer in a square peg in there? It doesn't always fit. And this is what we're going to see today. And the lesson that we need to understand today is that not everybody sees things that, the way that you see it. Isn't that a surprise? <gasps> I never knew that. Well, now you do. You see, we see things out of how we were brought up, out of our references, out of the people that we knew that we were younger. That's how we see it. We come from different countries with these different cultures. And those things has got an influence on us how we perceive the world. Things that might be good for us and the way that we see it for other people in other cultures might not be good. So we need to have an open mind to that. We need to see things not through our eyes, but through God's eyes. Now it's very difficult to do that if you are not a child of God. And even for people in the church, it's difficult to do that. We've got our way and we think that that's the right way. But then we need to go back and search the scriptures and see if it is the right way. So we want to explore a little bit on that. I'm going to do a lot of reading today. As you know, there's a lot of narrative story in the book of Job. So we found Job in our closing statement last week where he, he said these things in Job 3 verse 25. He says, For the thing I greatly feared has come upon me, and what I dreaded has happened to me. This is a man who's lost everything. He's literally lost everything. He lost his children. He lost all of his possessions. And now he's sitting there with a sickness in his body, with boils. Have you ever come to a point where you've lost something and you felt bad about it? Multiply that by 10. Multiply it even by 20. I don't think any of us sitting here today can imagine what Job has lost. Can you? He's sitting there and, and he's lost everything and this is the words that he's saying. And then on top of that, his wife turns to him and she goes, Curse God and die. I mean, you would have thought that she's got my back, she's going to support me, but then she adds to those words. But oh, there's great news. There's these three friends of his that's coming. And they sit there with him for seven days as he's mourning through this. And one would say, that is very good. And we saw last week how good these friends were, and we perceived them to be good. But we also must see it from every angle as we're going to explore about these men. Can they be used by the enemy? Because behind the veil, friends, we saw, and we've got the privilege to see what happened in heaven. You remember that? You remember when Satan came before God? Never forget that when you think about Job. Never. And how God said to him, Have you preserved my, my servant, Job? And he said, Yes, he's your servant just because you protect him. Now, Job didn't know this. Job's friends didn't know this. Job's wife didn't know this. But there is a spiritual war that's happening. And here we see this man going through that. And he, he utters these words in the hearing of his friends. They were sitting there when he said, This thing that I greatly fear has come upon me, and what I've dreaded has happened to me. They hear that. Now verse 26 can say so much about people today. I'm not at ease. Nor am I quiet. I have no rest, but trouble comes. Friends, there's a lot of people who operate like this in the world. They've got no rest. Trouble comes to them. And they sit there 
on this little ash heap there and they go, oh, the whole world is falling upon me. This could be Job, a Job, and it is Job. So we see this. You know, these friends heard this. Elipas was sitting there, Bildad was sitting there, and Zopar was sitting there. And their premise now that one size fits all is the following. In the next chapters, you're going to see these men, they're going to insinuate that Job has done evil and he is suffering for it. That is the premise of all of their conversation. In fact, they put it in a nice poet, poetical form, and we're going to read through it because it makes for beautiful reading. But the essence of their message is, Job, you have sinned and now you're getting punished for it. And you know what? A lot of people hang on to that theology. A lot of people hang on to that. You're going to be a naughty boy? You're not going to get gifts this Christmas. Listen, friends, we don't believe in Santa. God is not Santa Claus. It's not that way. But people are making a theology out of this. And this is what we're going to discover. Now, why do I say one size does not fit all? Because their theology does not fit God's theology. And we will see that as we explore further. These men is going to learn three lessons, which we also going to learn. Three lessons. First of all, they will understand that they do not understand God. Who can understand God? Can you please stand up this morning? Who fully understand God? No, friends, we are still learning about Him. There is no man on the face of the earth today, I give it to you. And I challenge that man to stand up and say, I fully understand and I know God. Oh, there's many people who claim that they do. But I'll tell you today that no man can claim that. We will fully understand God only the day that we pass from this life to another life. That's the only time. But for now, we are learning as we continue on, day by day, moment by moment, as we study the Scriptures, we're learning about that. They, will, they do not understand God, and they do not understand Job. Do you totally understand the person next to you? No, you live with that person. And as you live with that person, you know more and learn more about that person. But you don't totally understand that person. The only way that you can understand that person is if your spirit goes out of your body and it goes over and lives inside of that person's body. Yes? Then you will understand him. If you live inside somebody else, if you think their thoughts, if you walk their walk, that's when you will understand that person. Who can do that? We're not in the occult, dear friend. No, we're not. So this is the thing that they will understand, that they do not understand Job. And then they will also discover that they do not understand themselves. And I want to challenge you this day as well with those words. Although you are sitting here and you have grown up with yourself, in my case, for 50 years. Can you believe it, Andre? I've been living with this guy for 50 years. But I still don't understand myself. And so often, friends, God will put us into a situation to do two things. To understand Him better and to understand yourself better. To learn more about yourself. You might have learned a lesson and you know what He's going to do? He's going to put you in that same circumstance so that you learn more about that circumstance and about you. Three things that we need to learn about. One is God who created this world. Second one is about yourself. And the third one is the world we're living in. What world are we living in? And this is so important for us. So we see these three friends there. And like I say again, that their premise is that Job has done something evil and now he is suffering for it. Let's just discover a little bit more about these people. Eliphaz. Eliphaz. He seems to be a very kind person if you're going to read through it. And he gives an impression that he is age and authority. You will see, and we're going to discover as we read through that, the words that he uses. I have seen. In other words, he's lived a life and he's seen a lot of things and he's got a lot of experience in life. And it's so true that if we look at people who are more aged, you know, a little bit more older, we think they've seen a lot of things and they've got a lot of experience. And this is how he comes forward. He was from Teman, uh, which is an Edomite city, 
and that was known as the center of wisdom. So he's this wise guy who's going to talk to Job, one of his friends. In Jeremiah 49 verse 7, we read against Edom, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Is wisdom no more in Teman? Because it was there. Now he asked the question, Has counsel perished from the prudent? Has the wisdom vanished? In other words, the Lord is asking them, There is a lot of wisdom. They say, Where is this wisdom gone? This man is from that place, known to be a wise man. He uses so many pompous words and preaches too much from a moral high beams. He's going to look down on Job. Do you find that a lot in churches? Yes, you do. And this is why I say, friends, one size does not fit all. You need to start seeing people from a dif- different perspective. It's not only your way that is the right way. And then we find this man Bildad. We're going to see him a little bit later on as we continue. He was known to be a gentleman, this Bildad man. He uses courtesy, but he comes over as dry and as composed as can be. A really interesting character of this man. He does not speak out of experience, but he uses the wise words and he reflects upon those. He cannot understand why... His impressive statements should fail to convince and convince. He, he goes, Job, what's going on? I'm giving you all of these very nice uh, wisdom of words. What's going on with you? Can't you get it? Hello? And, and you know what, friends? Why am I showing you the characteristics of these people? Because you find them in every church. You find them there. This is why God has allowed the Holy Spirit to give us this book to learn from it. You get the Eliphazes in the church who comes from this moral high ground, who speak these pompous words and so on. And then you find the Bildads in the churches as well. They want to use words of wisdom to impress you. And then they go, can't you get it? Duh. What's going on with you? But behind his politeness is the sense of superior wisdom, the wisdom of ages and of his own. He's certainly a harder man than Eliphaz, we will find. He's a little bit more direct as you're going to read through the book of Job and what they say to them. And then we find this third character here. He was a blunt man. You know, that's what they say he calls a spade a spade. That's what they say Aussies are, isn't it? You call a spade a spade. You say how it is. And this man was like that. He He was a rough, decidedly rough And he had a dictatorial style in him. Don't we find that in churches as well and amongst people, in families as well? A dictatorial style. It's my word and that's the word that counts. He's impatient and and he doesn't like to waste words. And he prides himself on coming to the point. Let's get to the point here. Uh, So he's not eloquent. You know, you'll find in his talking, he's not like Eliphaz or like Bildad. So there we've got these three characters. And their main message is going to be, Job, you've done something evil, and this is why you are suffering. This is a theology. So many people today are living by that same theology. You find ministries now who say that if you are poor, it's because God is punishing you for a sin in your life. Have you heard that one? And this is what they preach. So they are similar to these three friends of Job. They say, no, if you are saved, and if if you're God's child, you need to be rich. And and here's the thing. Just give us a seed, and God will multiply it by ten. And you'll become more richer because you're blessed. And you know what? I'll tell you the one thing this morning. If, if, If Paul would live today, they would tell him to repent of his sin because he, he was a poor man. If Jesus Christ himself had to walk into some churches, they would tell Jesus Christ to repent because he had no house, he had nothing to call his very own. He would have been a poor man. He would have been welcoming in many ministries this morning. And this is what we find the same with these three men. Uh, so the belief is what the belief was out there. If you do a sin, that you will certainly uh, be punished for that. In fact, before we go into that, I was just thinking this morning, and I was sitting praying there at the back. I want to read to you in the New Testament just quickly in John. 
about the same thing that happened, and they put it before Jesus. In John chapter 9, listen to this. John chapter 9, verse 1. Now as Jesus passed by, he says a man who was blind from birth, and his disciple asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? You remember that? Jesus was walking by, and there's this blind man sitting there, and the disciples had the same belief as these two friends. Somebody sinned, and he's getting punished now. He was born blind. Now, Jesus, come on, that was a trick question. Who sinned here? If you say the parents have sinned, then, listen to this now, then we can have a theology that says that the sins that you will do will blow over to your children and their children. They call it generational sins. Have you heard about that one? He sees all of these theologies. And people fall for that. There is now ministries out there who say, are you really saved? Are you sitting in church? You need to come and see us so that we can pray and ask God to open up your forefathers. Maybe, maybe one of your forefathers sinned. And we need to have a cleansing stream now going back to four or five generations. You've heard that preaching, haven't you? Here is it. The disciples, or the Pharisees, they came to him and they said, Jesus, come on. Here's this poor boy, man. He grew up. He's, he's not a boy now. He's a man now, but, but he's blind from birth. What did Jesus say? I think it's important to note what he said. In verse 3, Jesus answered, he says, Neither this man nor his parents sinned. No trickies about it. I, you know, he's straight to the point there. He says, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. That's it different. You see, again, we cannot make one size fits everybody. Certainly. There is sins that when you do them, you will be punished for them in your body. So, here Jesus says, neither him. So, what's going on here? So, I want to say to you this morning, dear friends, I want to say to you what the, I believe the Bible teaches. There ain't generational sins. You say, well, prove it to me because it's your word. Well, let me gladly do that. I'll just finish what Jesus said. He says, I must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So, Jesus says to these men, it's neither his parents that sinned, nor is it him, but that the works of God should be revealed. You say, but what about these generational... Let's go back to the Old Testament to Ezekiel. Now, I'm, I apologize, it's not there, but I just... On the board, I just, I just thought this morning I'll touch on this point. Is it okay with you? I was going to do it anyway, brothers. <laughs> Here we go. Ezekiel chapter 18. Now, listen to this now. It's the Old Testament. Jesus said in the New Testament to these disciples, to these Pharisees, He said, neither this man's parents sinned nor him. It is that the works of God might be manifested. Okay? Now, in Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel? So now, He says to this uh, uh, prophet, He says, There's a proverb that you guys use. What do you mean by this? And now he's going to give them the proverb. And this has become a theology to a lot of people today. The fathers have eaten sour grapes, and the children's teeth are set on edge. You hear the proverb? It means the fathers have sinned, and now the children are bearing the consequences thereof. Their teeth are sitting on edge. Have you eaten sour grapes? Who has tried I love grapes, by the way. I absolutely love grapes. But I don't like sour grapes. Because if you bite into sour grapes, your teeth are put on edge. It's yeah. And he says here, this Proverbs now, he says the fathers have eaten sour. The fathers have eaten the sour grapes. But the children now has got him. And this is where they base this theology on. Now, if we close the Bible there, we might say it's written in the Bible and we better get everybody in this church come to my house 
And we need to pray and we need to pray in. You know, it's not just praying. We pray into the Spirit. And then the Lord's going to reveal all the sins of your forefathers and so on. But that's not where the Bible stops. Listen on. Verse 3. As I live, says the Lord God. Who's saying this? Who's saying this? Is it the prophet or is it God? God corrects this now, this proverb. He says, as I live, says the Lord God, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. You shall no longer use this proverb. It doesn't work that way. Behold, all souls are mine. The soul of the Father as well as the soul of the Son is mine. The soul who sins shall die. Ezekiel chapter 18, go and read it for yourself. I'm going to get back to Job. I don't want to take a too long rabbit trail there. But listen to this. The, The Lord says all souls belong to Him. The Father's soul and the soul of the Son. And then He says the soul that sinned, whether it's the Father, the Father will die. If it's the Son, the Son will die. It's not the Son dies for the Father's sins. Are you clear about that? I mean, I don't have to go on and try to defend it now. The Bible is so clear about it. And Jesus said it in the New Testament. He said it right there to these Pharisees. He said, neither this man nor his parents have sinned. So let's continue in now and see (coughs) the words of this man. Now, let us just look at this now. At the end, I love it to go to the end and come to the front. In Job chapter 42, verse 7. What are you going to hear about what this man say? The Lord's going to turn this around. Look at this. In verse 7 he says, And so it was after the Lord had spoken these words to Job, that the Lord said to Eliphaz, the Temanite, My wrath is aroused against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right, as my servant Job has. I think there's a warning in these words to us. I, I believe there's a warning in these words to every preacher who preached the Word of God. Can you see the warning? And this is why, friends, preaching the Word of God is a terrible thing because you stand before God. He misses every single word that I preach. You know, I've been preaching for many years now, and I believe that all of the, the messages that I've preached will be played off before God. He knows every one of those. And here is the important part of it. He says, the wrath... Whose wrath is against him? God's wrath. The wrath is arose against you and your two friends, for you have not spoken of me what is right. In other words, he has spoken what is wrong. Yeah, there's a lot of naive people in, in churches these days. They believe every single thing that people preach to them. But there's also wrong things that comes out of preachers' mouths. And here we find it now, one size fits all. And they say this is why he's suffering. Now, first of all, let's get into the narrative. I'm just going to read through this. It's self-explanatory, but listen to the language. Listen to the words used. It's so beautiful, some of these. He's going to compliment Job now, and then he's going to attack him. In Job Job 4.1, Then Eliphaz the Temanite answered and said, If one attempts a word with you, will you become weary? But who can withheld himself from speaking? I mean, look at you. Surely you have instructed many and you have strengthened weak hands. Your words have upheld him who is stumbling and you have strengthened the feeble knees. But now it comes upon you and you are weary. It touches you and you are troubled. Is not your reference, your confidence and the integrity of your ways, your hope? You see, he compliments them. He says, you've been an encouragement to so many people. But now that this calamity comes upon you, now all of a sudden, you are striking out. He uses the word that he says, you will become weary. You see, when he says, if anyone tempts a word, it means, if I test you, if we test you now, will you become disgusted? That's the Hebrew word used there for weary. He says, are you going to become you know, disgusted when we test you. And we want to test you. Because you know what? We will find that these three friends came together and they spoke about his calamities and they made up their mind. You've sinned. And now they're going to do that. And he says to him, you have become weary. You have become disgusted. 
because of your circumstances. Well, that's a good friend, isn't it? Tap him on the shoulder and go, you're so great, man. But by the way, you're a hypocrite. Because the things that you tell other people to be strong in, now you've become the weak ones. And this becomes the section now where Eliphaz and the others will try to make Job see that his problem that he's caused upon himself. Verse 7, remember now, whoever perishes as being innocent, he asked the question, or where were the upright ever cut off? Even as I've seen, you see? Then he goes into his experience. Even if I've seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. By the blast of God they perish and the breath of the anger they have consumed. The roaring of the lion, the voice of the fierce lion, and the teeth of the young lions are broken. The old lion perishes for lack of prey, and the cups of the lioness are scattered. He used a lot of uh, pictures here, isn't he? Uh, but he says to him, he says, Job, your problem is sin here. He asks it in a question. He says, whoever perished being innocent? Job, you're not innocent. Come on. Look at you. The state that you're in. How many people have come to you when you're going through a troubled time? And they go, there must be something that you're doing in secret. And this is what he's doing. He asks another, he says, is the upright ever cut off? You, you see, this is it, Job. If you're upright, why would God cut you off? In other words, you've sinned. But then he uses this one here. He says, as I've seen out of experience, those who plow iniquity will sow and reap the same. And this brings up a concept now which is used in churches, isn't it? You reap what you sow. You reap what you sow. Oh, and it's so many times misused. Let's just quickly look at that. You reap what you sow. They use this verse in Galatians chapter 6 and also this verse in Job when they talk about this. They say, let the one who is taught the word share all good things, the one who teaches. You see this? All good things. The one who is taught, let him share all the good things with the one who teach. So he talks about the ministers of the word and he talks about the flock. He says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will also be reaped. For the one who is sowing uh, in his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows in the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary in doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are in the household of faith. So, brothers and sisters, this week only, okay? This week only, I'll give you a week. If you give me a thousand dollars, sow it into me, the Lord will give you back a hundred thousand in two weeks' time. Have you got a checkbook? I think I've shortchanged myself here because if I count thousand each one, I better run. I can't go far with what, $45,000? Okay, let, let me just do it this way. Brothers and sisters, have I got a deal for you? Only today though, and I can organize credit card payments, that's fine. You can take a mortgage out against your house. If each one of you give me 100000 today, man, God will give you a million. Now, I can go a little bit further with 400000 You see, we laugh about these things, but it's so true that people are using it. You, and and I, I, would, I would expect next week, you know, it's just, I just want to feel special next week. If you can come here, each one with... $50 notes, and as I walk in, just throw it around on the floor. I'd love for that to happen. Will you do that for me? No. If ever somebody say that to you, run for the door. Let's close the place down. But this is what they use. They say, hey, listen, Elipas, this man, this clever man, he was from Timon. He was from the city of wisdom. He used these words. He said it there. Even if I seen those who plow iniquity, sow and reap the same. You see, he was talking about iniquity, but let's flip it on his head. Here, Paul says in Galatians, if, if 
the one who is taught. You are taught, aren't you? And I'm the one who teaches. So, hey, it doesn't work that way. Now, let me just say, Paul was talking about, when he talks about good things there, he was talking it could have been money, but it's also food, clothing, and shelter. So I need to preach the word, what the word says. What happened in those days? And by the way, friends, I don't need this. Because why? Because the Lord has blessed me to be able to look after myself. And you know, when we get money into this church, just for those who now switched off and say he's preaching money, no, no, when we say we're paying the whole year, I don't take anything from this. But you know, there are people, and and it's biblical, who is full-time in the ministry. And you know what? If that happens, the church should look after them. That is the truth out of the word. This is what Paul is saying. And this is not the only place he's saying that. There's so many, and in Corinthians he says the same thing. He says that if there is these ministers, and if the churches grow, and they need to be in full time, there's nothing wrong for them to live out of the church. But listen, to their needs, not to their wants. That is where the difference comes in. It is to their needs that they need to live. Paul never went beyond his wants. And, and the fact of the matter is, and you can go, look, I'm just touching on the subject here. It's a much broader subject than this. If you look at it, whenever he traveled, he took with him these good things they're talking about. And what did he do? He took it to the poorer churches and he shared it with them. He never held it for himself. He never purchased a mansion. He never purchased jet planes. He never purchased a horse instead of a donkey, if we want to take it back to his day. He never did that. So let us just correct this. Yes, the principle is correct. If you reap, you will, if, if you sow, you will reap what you've sown. It is a true principle. If you look at a farmer, if he goes out and he takes maize and he, and he sows out the, you know, the corn or whatever, it will get back what he's putting into it. That is so true. But you see, all of these people now who tries to rob people of their money is jumping onto this and they build the theology around it. It is not what they say it is. In Psalm 28 verse 4 he says, Give to them according to their work and according to the evil by their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward because they do not regard the works of the Lord and the work of His hands. He will tear them down and build them up no more. You see, what these false teachers will tell you is you go. If you're not going to give us God, we'll tear you down. And they play on your feelings. It's not like that. There is a physical principle and a spiritual principle. You say, what is the point of bringing it out? Why would Eliphaz say that to him? The problem with Eliphaz here is he's taking that material principle and he connects it to salvation. That is where the problem lies. That is where the life is wrong. And this is what the people use today. They say, if you not start giving to God, it will influence your salvation. And that is wrong. That is a lie. And we need to correct it with this. This is why Eliphaz was wrong. Now, he's going to talk about man's frailty. In verse 12, he says, Job 4, 12, he says, Now a word was secretly brought to me, and my ear received a whisper of it. In disquieting thoughts from the visions of the night, when deep sleep falls on men, fear came upon me, and trembling, which made all my bones shake. Then a spirit passed before my face. The hair on my body stood up. I stood still, but I could not discern its appearance. A form was before my eyes. There was silence. Then I heard a voice saying, Can a mortal be more righteous than God? Can a man be more purer than his maker? If he puts no trust in his servants, if he charges his angels with error, how much more those who dwell in the house of clay, whose foundation is in dust, who are crushed before the moth. They are broken in pieces from morning till evening. They perish forever with no one regarding. Does not their own excellence go away? They die even without wisdom." You know what he's saying? He's saying to Job, Job, it's very clear, we all sin. That's what he's saying in that passage. We all sin. It's so clear, Job. You should be able to see it. But he's doing something dangerous here. He adds an experience to it. 
And he tells them this experience, his spirit visited him. And he found this information from a spirit. Now, the theology there, or, or the wording there, is, is correct. It is true. It hits so close to home. Because when he says that God doesn't even his angels refer them, it is right. What did he do? He casted Lucifer out of heaven. But you see, a mortal man is not higher than an angel, he says in this passage. He says we all sin. So Job, there is no great shame here to admit that you've sinned and that calamity has come upon you. Just accept it. Because we all sin. This is what he's pointing towards. And now he talks about the fate of a foolish man. Job 5 verse 1. He says, call out now. Is there anyone who will answer you? And to which of the holy ones will you turn? For wrath kills a foolish man and envy slays a simple one. It's true what he says, isn't it? I mean, the, the argument that he uses is true, but his application is wrong. He wants to use this argument, these words, to tell a man who definitely there was no sin there, who tells him that, you, you know, that it's my way in the right way. For wrath kills a foolish man and envy slays a simple one. I have seen, you see it talks about again in its experience, I have seen the foolish thing taking root, but suddenly I crushed his dwelling place. His sons are far from safety, they are crushed in the gate, and there is no deliverer. Because the hungry eats the harvest, taking it even from the thorns. And a snare snatches the substance, for affliction does not come from the dust, nor does trouble spring from the ground. Yet man is born to trouble as sparks flies upwards. Man, he's laying it in now. He says, trouble comes your way from the dust. He uses the reference they are living in. Look at the words he used. He says, for rough, rough kills a foolish man. And his sons are far from safety. Whew, that is really deep. Remember, Job lost his children, didn't he? This man is still in mourning. And he touches that sore now. He says, you see, I want to change your mind about yourself. You've sinned. He's targeting him directly in this. And now he's trying to defend God. He says in verse 8, But as for me, I would see God. And to God I would commit my course. Who does great things and unsearchable, marvelous things without number? Come on, you tell me who does that. Only God, isn't it? He gives rain on the earth and sends water on the fields. He sets on highs those who are lowly and those who mourn are lifted to safety. He frustrates the devices of the crafty so that their hands cannot carry out their plans. He catches the wise in their own craftiness, and the counsel of the cunning comes quickly upon them. They meet with darkness in daytime and grope at noontime in the night, but he saves the needy from the sword, from the mouth of the mighty, and from their hand. So the poor have hope, and in justice such their mouth. You know, Eliphaz is saying to Job here, he was not seeing God, and he was not committing his cause to God. That's what he's telling him. He says, this is the God that's so mightyful. Look at your pretty form here. You're not seeing God. But, you know, when you read through that, it makes a lot of sense what he's saying. Again, his application is wrong. It is so important. Remember what God said. The wrath comes against Eliphaz. And now he says to him, he says, God is chastening. Behold, happy is the man whom God corrects. Come on, Job. You're sitting in this situation. Therefore, do not despise the chastening of the Almighty. Let me ask the question this morning. Does God chastise His children? He does. He does chastise His children. It's like us. If you've got a child, you correct a child, but God does not crush them. Yes. The one He loves, He corrects them. And this is what He's catching on. So, you know, you listen to this man, you say, what's wrong with that? It's a good theology. He says, for he bruises, but he binds up. He wounds, but his hands make whole. He shall deliver you in six troubles. Yes, in seven, no evil shall touch you. In family, he shall redeem you from death, and in war from the power of the sword. You shall be hidden from the scorch of the tongue, and you shall not be afraid of destruction when it comes. You shall laugh at destruction and famine, and you shall not be afraid of the beast of the earth. He says, come on, Job. 
Again, God is just chastening you. But does he know what's happening behind the scenes? No. He couldn't see when, when God spoke to Satan about this. So he's talking out of human wisdom. He says, come on, Job. This is coming upon you because of this. For you shall have a covenant with the stones of the field, and the beast of the field shall be a peace with you. You shall know what your tent is in peace. You shall visit your dwelling and find nothing amiss. You shall also know that your descendants shall be many, and your offspring like the grass of the earth. You shall come to a grave at full age, as a sheaf of grain ripens in its season. Behold, this is, uh, behold, this we have searched out is true. Hear it and know for yourself. It's a lot of reading, isn't it? Are you still with me? He's really laying into him. He was supposed to be there to comfort his friend. But you know what? He's giving all of these stabs up, Job. Look at this here. You shall come to the grave at a full age. There's a few certainties in that, isn't it? We all shall come to the grave. Are you afraid of that? If you are, you need to lay that fear into the Lord. But then he says, You shall come to the grave at a full age. And a sheaf of grain ripens in season. Behold, behold, Job, listen to me now. And this is why I say that they came together before they came to Job. And they discussed Job's calamity together. The three of them. He says, this we have searched out. You see that? It is true. How can you say it's not true? I've had a visit from a spirit. We all spoke about it. We all agreed and now we know what's wrong with you. Hear it and know it for yourself. Was he right? He wasn't right. It wasn't because of a secret sin that Job did that he was in the position he was. And you know, what is the lesson for us here? You sit and you go, wow, you know, there's a lot of things that this man has said. We need to guard that we fall into the same trap of putting people into these little boxes and make up our opinion about them. Learn more about the person. Learn more about him. Job is now going to reply. And I'm going to read through that. Uh, his, his reply is going to be, come on Elipas, what does your words prove? And instead of making him feel better, he made him feel worse. He made him feel worse. And in a way you can say that behind the scenes, who is still going at Job? Lucifer. Remember the Lord said, take all of his stuff away. And then the Lord said, touch, touch him with, with sickness and boils and everything, but don't touch his life. What is Lucifer wanting? What is the devil wanting? He wants his life. That's the one thing he wants. So he's going to use all his devices now to pull this man even further down. The one thing that he would have loved to do for Job is to commit suicide or to curse God and die. That's what he would have loved him to do. But would Job do that? No. The only thing that he opens his mouth after his life is he bemoans his affliction even more now. He goes, this is now getting more terrible to me. How worse can it get? Job 6.1 Then Job answered and said, Oh, that my grief were fully weighed, and my calamity laid on the scales. For then it would be a heavier than the sand of the sea. Wow. Wow, I love that. He goes, oh, all my troubles is so hefty that if you put it on a scale, all the sand of the sea, how, how much sand is there? He goes, all of that sand will be way more. Have you felt like that sometimes? Yes. Hef, heavy, wet. Therefore my words have been rash. He says, oh yes, I admit. If, if you were in my feet, if you were in my situation... What would you have said? He said, the things that I feared came upon me. The things that I dreaded happened to me. I'm really rushed. And he, he, he said, the day that I was born in, that day should never have happened. Or oh, I must have been born dead. He says, but if you put the weight of that on the scale, yes, it's because of that that my words were so rash. For the arrows of the Almighty are within me. My spirit drinks their poison. The terrors of God are arrayed against me. Does the wild donkey bray when it's grass, or does the ox low, low over the fodder? Can flavorless food be eaten without salt? Man, I love this. 
Or is there any taste in the white of an egg? Who eats white of an egg? <laughs> is there taste in the white of the egg? No, the yellow gives the taste, the yolk, isn't it? And, and he goes on to say, My soul refuses to touch them. They are as loathsome as food to me. What is he saying? He's having a go back at Elifas here. You see, the thing is, when he says the wild donkey bray when the grass or that's the low ox low, he says, Job is not complaining without reason. He says, man, I'm complaining because I've got a reason to complain. But I love the next part. Because he turns to Eliphaz and he says, Eliphaz, your words to me, what you've just said to me, you know what your words is? Your words is like flowerless food eaten without salt. Have you eaten food like that? Is it tasty? He says, no, the things you say is not even tasty. Uh, or like the white of an egg. My soul refused to touch them. They are loathsome food to me. Your words is tasteless. And in fact, instead of making him feel better, he's actually making him worse. And then he goes further on to say, I want to die now even more. Listen to this. Job 6 verse 8. Oh, oh. He thought his friend was going to lift him up. Now that I might have my request that God would grant me the thing that I long for, what was that? If you go back to the previous verses, it's to die. He says, this is so heavy for me, that it would please God to crush me, that he would lose his hand and cut me off. This refers back to the arrows. He's, Maybe God's hand slip and one of those arrows kills me. Then I would still have comfort. Though in anguish I would exalt he would not spare, for I have not concealed the words of the Holy One. What strength do I have that I should hope? And what is my end that I should prolong my life? Is my strength the strength of stones? Is my flesh of bronze? Is my help not within me? And is the success driven from me? This man, he, you know, he's in a deep, deep calamity. He says, for what I have not concealed my words from the Holy One. Job says, he says to, to Elias, I did not sin. He says, no, no, you know, when you say I've sinned, for I've not concealed the words of the Holy One. He gave the words of the Holy One. He says, look, it's not sin. You guys say I've sinned. Terrible. But I'm telling you, it's not that. Um, and now he's going to criticize this man back. It's interesting. This, this guy just gave him his full lowdown, and now he criticizes him. He says, to him who is afflicted, kindness should be shown by his friend. Isn't it true? You should show kindness. Here you come and you tell me I'm a, I'm, I'm a rotten sinner. You don't even know me. You don't even know my circumstances. But hey, you guys came together and you already discussed and made up your mind what is happening here. He says, though forsakes the, the fear of the Almighty God, my brothers have dealt deceitfully like a brook, like the streams of a brook that pass away, which are dark because of the ice, and into which the snow vanishes. Man, he gives it back to them. When it's warm, they cease to flow. When it's hot, they vanish from their place. So what is it? There's no good. There's absolutely no good in what you've done. The paths of the way turn aside. They go nowhere in Paris. The caravans of Tema, look. The travelers of Sheba hope for them. They are disappointed because they were confined. They come there and are confused. For now you are nothing. You see terror and afraid. Did I ever say, bring something to me, or offer a bribe for my wealth, or deliver me from the enemy's hand, or redeem me from the hand of the oppressors? He's really having a go at Elifas now. He goes, you know, you should have been like water, but when these guys go through the desert to come for water, you find nothing. So it's not uplifting and upbuilding words that you're giving us here. And now he's telling them finally, before we're going to pray, and you know, after this big relas of, of Eliphaz, he says in the last verses in Job 6.24, he says, teach me and I will hold my tongue. Come on, tell me what sin it is. You who knows everything, you've got experience, teach me then. Cause me to understand wherein I've erred. How forceful are the right words. But what does your arguing prove? Do you not intend to rebuke my words and the speeches of the spare one, which are as wind? Yes, you overwhelm the fatherless, and you undermine your friend. Now therefore, 
Be pleased to look at me, for I would never lie to your face. Yield now, let there be no injustice. Yes, concede my righteousness still stands. There is there injustice on my tongue. Cannot my taste discern the unsavory? That's a lot of words, just to say one thing. Job, you've sinned, and this is why you're in this situation you're in. And Job turns around to them and says, it's not because of my sin. He says it right there. I concede my righteousness still stand. Righteousness is living a life acceptable to God. That's what it means. And we have to understand that it's many things that influence. And again, it comes back to one principle. I, I didn't have to read through all of that. I could have just said this when we pray and we go. As long as we know this. That we can't fit everybody into one size, into our theology. But man, we can fit everybody into God's theology. And you know what is the thing that's lacking here from Eliphaz? Grace. God's grace. Not, not getting what you deserved. What did Job get? He's in calamity now. But you know what's happening now? We will see this. You know what we're going to see Job's going to learn more about himself and about the grace of God. Remember when we said last week, and, and look, it's a fine line that we need to look at. When we look at the last passage, Job comes to a point and he says, I repent. Now one can say, wait a minute, if he repented, then Eliphaz is right. And his three friends is right. He did sin and he need to repent. But you know what he's going to repent about? That he don't understand the grace and the wisdom of God. And that he couldn't see behind the veil when Satan and Lucifer came to God. Friends, this is the lesson that I want us to take out of this. When we look at each other, let's pray for one another and not make up our minds. If we see somebody struggling in a situation, pray for them. Not go and, you know, you've already got ten points that you want to discuss with them to correct their lives. We can't do it. That's why I say, if you come to us, if you come to me and you say, look, I need counsel. I can't counsel you, but I know somebody who can. It's written there in Isaiah, counselor, the mighty God. We go to the word of God. People don't like that when they come to us. They want us to tell them nice stories or to find troubles and problems in their lives like Eliphaz did. No, no, we go to the word of God. Sometimes when we counsel people, we give them scripture verses you know, when people come to us, we say, go away and go and read this passage. Oh, man. God, I didn't come here for Bible reading. What, what do you want me to do? You want me to become like Eliphaz and tell you all the things which... And I've seen a lot of things. Listen, friends, I've, you know, in, in 25 years of ministry, I've seen a lot of things. But, you know, that's my wisdom. But man, if we sit down and you come to me and I struggle with this thing in my life, and I go, you know what, there's just a scripture verse that jumped up in my mind right now. Let's go and open up. You know what I've seen so many times? People close like a book. No, no, I didn't come here to read Bible. Well, why did you come to a pastor for counsel then? What do you want me to do? And, and by the way, leave your check of $1,000 at the door when you go out. No, <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. No, no, it's easy, it's free. What do we do? We open up the free word of God and we give people free counsel out of the word of God. Have you got something out of Job today? And his friends, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.